Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as we are now less than one week away from the start of Ohio State football spring practice. Andy, are you excited to see the Buckeyes on the practice field again? Oh, absolutely, Dan. I mean, I've been raving about what this defense could be. I think everyone's excited about what this defense could be, and I'm excited to see them get out there and challenge this offense to get better, especially the offensive line. I think there's a number of interesting storylines, a number of interesting position battles here as we enter the spring. And, you know, I'm just excited, as always, to get out and watch some football, you know, as, as you know, it's been a, a, a few weeks since the Super Bowl now. It's start. I'm already starting to miss it again, you know, so uh, I'm excited to get back out there. Yes, certainly uh, a no shortage of intrigue going into this spring. And I think a lot of that has to do with the moves Ohio State made over the past couple months to bolster its roster for the 2024 season. And that certainly starts with the six players that Ohio State has added through the transfer portal, those being former Alabama safety Caleb Downs, former Kansas State quarterback Will Howard, former Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins, former Alabama center Seth McLaughlin, former Ohio tight end Will Kasmerick, and former Alabama quarterback Julian Sayan. All six of those guys are going to be going through spring practices, and we expect at least four of them maybe to be starters in Caleb Downs, Will Howard, Seth McLaughlin. Quinshawn Judkins might not necessarily be a starter at running back, but I think it really doesn't matter whether Travion Henderson or Quinshawn Judkins is the starting running back. They're both going to play a lot, so I consider them co-starters at that running back position. Will Kasmerick certainly has a chance to be that starting tight end as well. And then Julian Sayan is going to be as interesting as any of them because that, that backup quarterback competition is going to be very interesting. I don't think that I have personally covered a spring practice where a team had five quarterbacks going through spring practice in terms of scholarship quarterbacks. So that's going to be very interesting to see how Ohio State manages that situation at quarterback because, for starters, you you have a new presumed starter in Will Howard who has not been with the team, so you have to make sure you give him enough reps to get him ready for his first season as a Buckeye. But then you also have four other quarterbacks who are going to be competing and they're going to want a chance to prove themselves. And you have to strike the right balance between making sure you give Will Howard and the guys who are maybe most likely to play this season enough reps while also trying to keep as many quarterbacks as possible happy, knowing that there's another transfer window to come at the end of spring and that any of those quarterbacks who don't like where they stand on the depth chart at the end of spring may potentially be inclined to look elsewhere after the spring. Yeah, and not the only position where that could happen for Ohio State, certainly, but certainly the number one position you look at for that, you know, when you talk about, you know, where's Devin Brown going to stand after this spring? Where's Lincoln Keenholz going to stand? Where's, you know, all these players that, you know, there's there's a lot of talent, obviously, in that quarterback room and a lot of guys vying for spots. Just how quickly do Julian Say and do Air Nolan take to the offense and how quickly can they challenge for the backup spot behind Will Howard? And I think, obviously, that readiness, that like push that they have is going to dictate some of how those reps are split up. If Julian Sayan or 
you know, Aaron Nolan perhaps, or one of the younger guys is ultimately going to win the role. I think you probably defer to giving them more reps if it's close, because, uh, you know, Devin, Devin's now in year three here, you know, he's behind Will Howard. If you're trying to keep him around another year, maybe, but I, I it really feels like they're gearing up for either Sayin or Nolan to be the quarterback next year. Right. So it, it just, it feels like this is a situation where Devin Brown, if he's not a cut above where Air Nolan and Julian Sayin are as first year quarterbacks, then there might not be a lot of reason to give him a lot of reps unless again, you know, you're expecting him to be that second team guy clearly, or even in the competition for next year, perhaps if he's going to stick around for another season, obviously that's the backup quarterback shot, but there's also plenty of starting spots that are going to be in contention for this spring. I think the number one, one, one that I'm interested in to no one's surprise is the offensive line battles. You know, I, I, uh, Love me some offensive line talk. We got um, a lot of intrigue on that right side. That's really where it is. Uh, pretty solidified. Donovan Jackson's going to be starting once again at left guard. That's obvious. Seth McLaughlin brought into play center. While there's the potential for him to move to guard if they needed it, I think really he was brought in after what happened with Carson Hensman in the Cotton Bowl to shore up that spot and provide some stability on the interior of the line. Josh Simmons at left tackle seems like a lock. I know he had some some bumpy spots in the last season, but he got better as the year went on. We've talked about this at length. That right side is really where the intrigue is. And does Josh Fryer ultimately end up at right guard or right tackle? And then that will influence the competition, whoever starts alongside of him, um, whether that's Luke Montgomery or Tager Shabola. And on the flip side, it could also be who's ready and where more out of Tegra and Luke. We expect Luke Luke to be more of a tackle right now, although he could slide inside. Tegra's more of a guard, we think. But, you know, there, there's basically who is ready where is also going to influence, I think, where Josh Fryer ultimately ends up. There's kind of a, you know, a symbiotic relationship there of what's Josh's best position, but what is where Ohio State needs. And so uh, those two young guys are the main guys to watch. But, you know, also maybe Enoch Vamahi surprises us and gets involved in that right guard competition. Uh, maybe George Fitzpatrick or some other name emerges out of nowhere or Zin Mahalski. There's, there, there's guys that there's guys that have um, that are veterans, too, in that room that could contend. But I think right now we're both expecting it to mainly boil down to those three on the right side. Josh Fryer starting somewhere, and then how do Tegra Shabola and Luke Montgomery fit in alongside him? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're Justin Fry, it makes sense to give a lot of guys first-team reps on that offensive line this spring because last year wasn't good enough. The starting five last year wasn't good enough. So, I mean, I think... You should approach the offensive line going into spring as it's a competition across the board that everybody has to go out there and earn their jobs because no one on that offensive line played well enough last year to be above reproach. So would I be very surprised if Donovan Jackson is not the starting left guard? Yes, I would. But I do think that you should go into spring treating it like it's a competition across the board and everybody has to go earn their jobs because it was the weakest position group on the team last year. On paper, it looks like the weakest position group on the team again this year. And so you have to challenge those guys 
to make it so they're not the weakness. You know, that's, that's, I think is, you know, you said you're interested in it, but everyone should be interested in it because I think that is the most important position battle this spring. We'll get into a few others, but I think we'd probably both agree at all the others that it's like, we're pretty confident, you know, however those battles go, that Ohio state is going to be in pretty good shape at all those positions. The offensive line is the one where I think this spring, it's not just about determining who's best among the guys currently on the roster. It's about determining whether Ohio state has the five plus guys that it needs. And if it doesn't, then we would expect Ohio state to be aggressive and trying to bring in more offensive line talent in the post spring transfer window. So I think that's job number one on the offensive line is do we have five guys? You know, ideally, do we have six, seven, eight guys? Because if, if you don't have six, seven, eight guys, then you still need to look in the transfer portal post spring to add more depth there. But first and foremost, you got to make sure you have five guys on, on that offensive line. And I think that's going to be a very interesting competition this spring, particularly, like you said, on the right side, because you know, I, I don't I wouldn't go as far as you to say Josh Simmons is a lock to start at left tackle, but I do believe that he will ultimately be the left tackle, barring an elite left tackle entering the transfer window post spring in Ohio State, bringing that guy in, in which case then maybe you would move Josh Simmons over to right tackle. But as of now, you could pencil in Josh Simmons at left tackle. I agree with you that I, I believe sec. McLaughlin was brought in to be the starting center. And that doesn't mean that he won't be pushed by the likes of a Carson Hinsman or even a Joshua Padilla this spring. But I, it, it's, it's his job to lose. He was brought in to be the starting center. So it's his job to lose. Those two spots on the right side to me are, are very interesting because I don't, I don't think that the right tackle job should necessarily be treated as Josh Fryer's job to lose. It, it might be because he was the starter all of last season. But I think there were enough lapses in pass protection there that he has a lot to prove if he's going to win that job. And he has, if, if they decide to move him to right guard, then he has a lot to prove there too, because he, you know, he has played a little bit of guard. You know, he did have a Michigan game two years ago. You know, when he initially came into Ohio State, the thinking was that, you know, guard was probably where he was going to end up. and so. I believe he's capable of playing guard. You believe he's capable of playing guard, but that's not always a seamless transition. Like it's very easy to just say, kick the guy inside to guard, but until he actually plays it on a regular basis, we really don't know how good of a guard Josh Breyer will actually be. And so I believe that they should give him a significant amount of reps at guard this year to see how well can he play that position and is, is, First and foremost, is that a better position for Josh Fryer? And then secondly, if it is, is he the best option at that position? And I lean toward that ultimately being the way things play out. But, you know, there's 15 practices in the spring, 25 practices in the preseason. I think that's some we, we've seen it plenty of times where Ohio State has one idea for the offensive line in the spring and then things change come August. So certainly possible that happens again this year, but I am interested to see just how much do they move him around. And the same is true for Luke Integra. I think you could move all three of those guys in between positions because I'm, 
I don't know that they're sure yet which position is best for those guys. I mean, we have talked about Luke being a tackle and Tegra being a guard, but I, I know that they have looked at Tegra at tackle and Luke at guard as well. So I think any combination of those three guys on those two spots is feasible. Like if I was to predict right now, my prediction would be that Josh Fryer will be the starting right guard and Luke Montgomery will be the starting right tackle. But I would not be shocked if Luke Montgomery was the starting right guard and Josh Fryer was the starting right tackle. And I would also not be shocked if Tegra Shabula ends up starting at either of those spots. And I would also not be shocked if Ohio, if a transfer to be named later ends up being the starter at one of those spots. But I think this spring is going to be a, a very important time for particularly the right side of that offensive line to where Ohio State certainly hopes that it comes out of that spring game in April feeling good about two starters on that side of the ball. And if it doesn't, then they're going to have to be aggressive in the post-spring transfer window. I think even back when we talked to Ryan Day last, it was interesting to hear him dwell on the on that right side and kind of where it is. And, and you look at, you know, the overall message in certain parts of that press conference was that Ohio State believes it currently has, with the transfers it's already added, a national title roster, a national championship caliber roster. So I think... It speaks a lot to me that, yes, they took a big swing at Caden Proctor. You talk about one of, if not the best tackles in the portal um, when Nick Saban left Alabama, retired from Alabama. Um, but outside of that, there wasn't really a heavy pursuit at tackle for a lot of guys, it felt like, from Ohio State. Um, and, and I think that maybe kind of... Gives, speaks a little bit to maybe some confidence they have either in Luke or uh, some other tackle, Josh taking the next step. What I want to see them do, frankly, this spring, to me, Josh Fryer has one glaring weakness as a tackle, and that is against true speed rushers. Take whoever your best speed guy is, whether that's JT or Kenyatta, it's probably one of those two, in this spring practice and line them up against Josh on a day-to-day -day basis and see if he can handle it. And if he can't and i don't think it's you know it's it's not going to be a mental thing with josh it's not going to be for a lot back trying with josh it's just does he actually have the feet and i don't i don't personally think he does for the true elite speed rushers um and that's again no knock on him and that's why i think guard makes a lot of sense for him he had a ton of punch in the run game he's got the strength and the base to move bigger guys on the interior i mean he's he he never started but he played guard in the past for ohio state just as a depth guy and so i i, I think that that's why we've talked about guard making sense for josh and so how how does he handle those true speed guys that's the number one question for me as to whether or not he's viable long term at that right tackle spot and if he can't then you really need to uh go toward that move of taking him and making him a guard. And like you said, it's easier said than done, right? It's, it's a new position. Now there's no guarantee. It's going to be a seamless switch if they do that. Um, but also, you know, I, I think there's a quiet confidence in, in, in what they might have with Luke Montgomery. Even I know he didn't play as much in the back half of last year, but there were maybe some, maybe some things behind the scenes health wise. I don't know. In any case, he, 
to me, the talent that they have there is is real and a guy that can also slide anywhere. Like you said, I mean, when when they brought him in, they said he the, the feeling was he could play all five positions at some point. But uh, right now, I, I think I would go with what you project as well. Fryer at right guard, Montgomery at right tackle are my picks. Uh, but we'll, we'll learn plenty this spring. Uh, hopefully, Ohio State will learn plenty this spring. And then I think what they then do in the transfer portal after the spring, whether or not they go and pursue more offensive linemen, will be very telling about their confidence in how things stand. Uh, now, now I think for kind of a more, I don't know, I, this is a position battle that to me isn't as, as important, but it is because you have two five-star guys, right? Sonny Styles, CJ Hicks that have all the hype in the world behind them. And it's, okay, when are they going to play like the, that five-star rating? Um, both of them entering their third seasons at Ohio State. Now, Sonny showed some really good things at times last year, just playing around the box, whether, you know, mostly in that nickel role when he moved back to deep safety, had some struggles down the stretch, replacing Lathan Ransom at that bandit spot. But, you know, we, we've talked about him a ton this offseason about trying to find the best fit in this defense. We think it's at will linebacker, but kind of as the same thing with Josh prior, this it's it's not as it's not a seamless transition to go from safety to linebacker always. And, you know, CJ Hicks, I, I think, you know, James Laurinaitis, you wrote a story. This You wrote a story. CJ Hicks is someone that they still really believe in his potential and has a really high ceiling, um, just needs to get to a certain place, I think mentally and uh, how he sees the game, but that that to me outside the offensive line, that's uh, that's the next position battle you look at this spring is at that will linebacker spot, and you know maybe Gabe Powers and Ar- Arbel Reese get involved there too, as kind of James James alluded to when we spoke to him last. Yeah, I mean you mentioned at the top of a show about how good this defense can be. This is really the only real position battle on the defense this spring because the defensive line, I think, is pretty much set. Jack Sawyer, JT Tuomolowau are going to be the starting defensive ends. Tyleek Williams and Ty Hamilton are going to be the starting defensive tackles. Cody Simon is the only linebacker on the roster who's started a game at linebacker, so he's going to be that middle linebacker in the middle of a defense. Ohio State returns all three starting cornerbacks from last year, Denzel Burke, Davis and Igbenosin, Jordan Hancock. Lathan Ransom returns as that starting strong safety. And then we know Caleb Downs is going to be an immediate starter at that free safety spot. So that will linebacker position is really the only true position battle on the defense this spring. And like you said, it's a very interesting one because of the guys who are in it and that Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks, you know, when they came on campus two years ago, the thinking was, you know, this year was going to be, you know, their year. I mean, they'd be going off to the NFL as first round picks a year from now. And instead, neither one of them is even a guaranteed starter going into this season. And part of that just has to do with the fact that this defense is loaded. Ohio State has a ton of seniors back on this defense. And so, you know, if, if you know, Leif and Ransom had left to the NFL, then we're probably not having this conversation right now. We're probably talking about Sonny Styles being the starting strong safety and CJ Hicks being the starting will linebacker. But because there's really only one spot in the lineup for those guys, it's going to be a very interesting uh, competition this spring. And, you know, we don't really know. We'll, I think when we're sitting here a week from now talking about what we saw at the first practice of the spring, we're going to have a better idea of how true a competition this really is because 
if if they believe Sonny Styles is a linebacker, should be a linebacker, that's his best position, then I would ultimately predict that Sonny Styles will be the starting will linebacker because this is a guy who started every game but one last year. He's shown a lot of good things. There there has to be a role for Sonny Styles in this defense. Now, what will that look like? That's the big question. Could be more of a situational role where he comes in as a Sam linebacker and free linebacker packages or as a third safety and free safety packages. There's a way to get him involved, even if he's not a starter. And I think the same is true for CJ Hicks. I think either way, you have to find roles for both of these guys. But most importantly, you have to have someone at that Will linebacker spot who you know you can rely on on every down. And I think Sonny Styles's skill set there is very intriguing because I think if he can make that transition, which like you said, it's not a seamless transition. I think the biggest question would be is, okay, as a guy who's lining up in the box on every play, you know, how well is he going to handle having to shed, shed blocks all the time, having to fill those gaps in the run game? it's different doing that as a linebacker than it is as a box safety. So uh, that, that would be the big question there. But I think the athleticism he brings to that position is ideal for what Ohio State wants in a will linebacker, which is really a sideline to sideline position. You want a guy who can make plays all over the field. And when we, we talked about it so much last year that like, I thought they should have used Sonny as a situational linebacker in coverage situations because I thought he would provide an upgrade in that regard over Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. And, you know, then, you know, Lathan got hurt and, you know, any idea of that kind of got shelved because they needed Sonny at that strong safety spot. But I, I think that what he can bring in coverage at that linebacker position could be a very good thing for Ohio state. And so as we sit here going into spring practice, my prediction is that Sonny styles will be Ohio state starting will linebacker, but I'm certainly not counting out CJ Hicks in that competition because, you know, CJ Hicks is a guy who was a top 10 overall prospect in his class, a guy who has, you know, all the physical tools to be an elite linebacker. We just haven't seen it yet. So it's hard to say, where exactly he is in his development. And it's been clear, I think, from what we've heard from Jim Knowles and even what we've heard from James Laurinaitis last week, that they still need to see more from C.J. Hicks. James Laurinaitis said, I think this is going to be a big spring for C.J. Hicks. But he did mention the word consistency multiple times. And so I think, you know, I think C.J. does have a very real chance if he can go and put it all together this spring and and play the way they want him to play on a day-to-day basis, that he absolutely can earn a starting job on this defense. But, you know, I'm sure there's listeners out there who feel like, you know, the only reason CJ hasn't played is because he was behind Steele and Tommy and Cody. And that's part of it. But They've also made it clear through their comments that they did not feel that CJ was ready to play a lot of snaps last year. If they had felt that he was ready to be a regular in that rotation at linebacker, then they probably would have worked him in there. They didn't feel that he was quite to that point yet. So he has to prove that he can be at that point 
this year. And, and there's certainly a world in which both Sonny and CJ play a lot at that spot. And maybe there is some different situations where you want CJ on the field versus where you want Sonny on the field. But again, kind of like we talked about on the offensive line, the most important thing is making sure you have your starting 11, the guys you know you really can count on. And so at least one guy has to emerge at that will linebacker spot this year. And, and I think, you know, with Sonny and CJ, you have two guys who are not sure things in terms of what they can be as a will linebacker, but both of them have a ton of upside. It's an excellent point you, you make about, you know, CJ and, and pushing and not just being blocked by having more experienced guys in front of them. And I'll add, though, I think we've seen the Jim Knowles system the last two years. I don't think there's ever been really a case where he played someone just because they were the more veteran guy. He plays, and this defense has played consistently, certainly in the back seven, the best player regardless of age, regardless of class, you know, where they are. So I, I think if CJ had shown what he needed to, had proven what he needed to, to get more reps, I think it would have happened this year. Um, and I, I think also people saw the, the couple of plays he got in and the Cotton Bowl didn't go so well for CJ. You kind of saw where he was deficient. He just didn't, he looked a step behind. And I, I think that's, again, the biggest areas he needs to take a jump is seeing the game, learning the game, all the non-physical parts of playing linebacker because he has those great physical tools. I think another thing, you know, mentioning, talking about different different defensive package, another thing that I'm curious about is, is there a way, if CJ and Sonny take the steps you need them to, is there a way to get them both on the field at the same time? I, I think a couple options for that could look like um, you put Sonny at will linebacker and you put CJ Hicks resurrect the Jack position and, and just have a pass rush specialist coverage down package where you have Sonny at will linebacker CJ at that Jack spot and then three down linemen. Um, and you could do that against like a pure spread team or like a third long type of package that, that could be interesting. I think, because I think CJ brings some things as an edge rusher that are interesting. The other idea that's kind of floated around in my head is maybe a kind of four, three almost package where against heavier running teams where CJ is at the will. And then Sonny is at a Sam linebacker kind of spot. You take Jordan Hancock off the field just for a, a matchup thing against those teams that like to run 12 personnel and, and kind of pound your face a little bit. All about Michigan. So I, I think those are also two interesting schemes that enter my head as you know, we sort of prognosticate how this could all play out and where they could find playing time. Um, but again, it's a, to me, it's about CJ taking that next step in the staff finding what's the best fit of Sonny Styles and, and how can we maximize what he does well on the football field. Moving on in, in terms of these position battles, I think the, the third wide receiver battle is one that's fun just because it's, it's like which young five star is going to take the mantle here. It, it seems pretty clear. Obviously, Emeka is going to be one of your starting receivers uh, coming back for his fourth year and a guy who should be one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, you have Carnell Tate in year two. It seems to be emerging as that clear wide receiver too after you know, how much he was used as a freshman. I And then it's going to be a competition probably between Brandon Ennis and Jeremiah Smith, a former five-star 
coming up into his true sophomore season and the best receiver prospect that a lot of people have ever seen in Jeremiah Smith coming in as a freshman, uh, already making waves, already impressing Will Howard. Does he end up finding a starting spot in year one? is a very fun storyline to follow with this team. I think he's going to play no matter what. There's no question, even if he's not a starter, he, he'll rotate in, much like Carnell did this year. Even when you know he wasn't a starter, Carnell still got playing time. But uh, does he actually win a starting spot in year one, I think is going to be a very fun storyline to follow. I think in either case, we have a lot of confidence in this receiver's room under Brian Hartline, as we have for a while now. Yeah, this is another one. Again, you know, five star versus five star. I think both these guys are going to play either way. You know, I expect that the wide receiver rotation will probably be very much a four man rotation, much like a lot of what we saw this past year, which, you know, like you said, I think Mecca is going to be a guy that as long as he's healthy, he's almost never going to leave the field. Carnell, I mean, this is a guy that people said last year was fervor ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. as a freshman. And Marvin Harrison Jr., was one of the best players in the country as a sophomore. So if that's true, then you'd have to think Carnell Tate is going to be a staple of this receiver rotation too. You know, I think one of the questions here is going to be where exactly do they want to line up a mech of a most? Because I think Jeremiah is more of an outside guy and Innes is more of a slot guy. And so if you keep a mecca in the slot primarily, then I think Jeremiah might be the better fit for that lineup. If you decide you want to move a Mecca outside and Ennis might be the better fit for that lineup. I think ultimately, I think we're going to see a Mecca move around and I think he's going to probably play both spots. And I think that's going to create opportunities for both Jeremiah and, and Brandon Ennis to, you know, play a lot and have significant roles in this offense. People who have heard me in the podcast over the last couple of years know I'm very high on Brandon Ennis. Like I think Brandon Ennis is going to be a really, really good wide receiver at, at Ohio State. I think he has star potential. But Jeremiah Smith is rare. I mean, Jeremiah Smith, you, we, we could sit here and say freshman receivers don't usually start at Ohio State, but J there's nothing ordinary about Jeremiah Smith. I mean, this guy is the elite of elite when it comes to prospects. And because of that, I think it's going to be very hard not to have Jeremiah Smith in the starting lineup as a true freshman. I mean, I think ceiling for him is so incredibly high in which even in a room with Emeka, Buka, and Carnell Tate, it's not an outlandish scenario that Jeremiah Smith could end up becoming Ohio State's best wide receiver this year. I don't really like putting those expectations on a freshman, but he is a rare talent. He is different than your average freshman. Now, I think the good thing for Jeremiah is they don't need him to be Superman in year one because they have a Mecca Buka, they have Carnell Tate, they have Brandon Ennis. There's other guys like maybe a Jaden Ballard can carve out a role. You know, Mylon Graham's going to arrive in the summer. So they don't need Jeremiah Smith to come in and be a superstar right away, but he's very capable of being that. I mean, much like a Caleb Downs was at Alabama last year, Jeremiah Smith has that kind of potential. And so my guess is on the first day of spring practice, Brandon Innes is probably going to be running with the ones because I don't think they're going to want to put Jeremiah Smith out there as a starter on his first ever spring practice. But 
my prediction is that Jeremiah Smith will be a starter by the time the season rolls around because I think he's just so talented that if things go the way they're expected to go, he he's a guy that they're just going to have to have on the field. For Jeremiah, it's not just the ridiculous talent, it's the polish too. I mean, he this is a guy coming into Ohio State so far along in his development. Um, When you watch the tape, it's not just, I mean, he's ridiculously fast, ridiculously long. There's, you know, all those physical attributes, the cuts on the route running are absolutely filthy. But he's also got elite body control, elite hands, elite high pointing skills, ball skills, things that that are very developmental in a receiver. You play in a hotbed of receiving talent in Florida. You, you know, you go and play for the elite seven on seven teams like Jeremiah Smith did with South Florida Express, and you get all this development before you arrive on campus. And now you're working under a guy who has the best track record of developing receivers in college football right now. So I think that Jeremiah Smith, it's not just for me, again, the those physical attributes, but it's his where he's at in his development already coming onto campus that that's why I think, to your point, he could be very well be the starter at that third receiver spot by the time fall rolls around. One other position battle that I think we'll be watching this spring is at the tight end position because Will Kasmarek coming in certainly, I think, has a chance to be that starting tight end. And if I was forecasting the race right now, I would pick Will Kasmarek to ultimately be the starting tight end. But it's going to be an interesting competition because you have G. Scott Jr., who was the backup tight end last year, has been around the program for a long time, You know, made multiple starts last season, did enough to where Ohio State trusted playing him a lot. And so you would certainly think that G. Scott Jr. is going to have a chance to contend for that starting job as well. And then there's also Jelani Furman, who uh, certainly is a guy who came in last year with a lot of excitement, didn't end up playing much uh, in the fall, which is not really anything new for a freshman tight end. We don't typically see freshman tight ends play much at Ohio State, but I certainly think he has the highest ceiling of any tight end on the roster. And so he's a guy that if he can make a jump this spring and prove that he's ready to play a bigger role, that it's certainly possible he could climb as high as the top of the depth chart there at tight end. And so, you know, that's going to be an interesting position battle to watch. I think another position where multiple guys are going to play because you know, there's going to be, multiple tight end packages as we've seen in Ohio State's offense in recent years. But certainly, they're going to want to see one guy really seize a hold of that starting job. And then ideally, you know, all three of those guys are guys that they feel they can count on to play regularly. And then, you know, you could mix all those guys in in different packages. But I think, you know, very much a, a three-way competition for that starting job going into the spring. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the different qualities that each of these tight ends bring, uh, when you talk about what Will Kasmerick is as a blocker, and I, I think that element is, we've talked about it, it's something they've missed um, at the tight end position, a guy who can uh, just really provide that blocking support. 
I think, you know, Kate Stover had his moments as a blocker last year. He also had some pretty significant lapses at times. And I think G. Scott Jr. has a lot of steps still to take in that area. Keenan Bailey's done a great job of developing these guys as receivers. And, you know, we saw Cade Stover put up some record setting numbers for an Ohio State tight end last year. But uh, they need a little more on the blocking side uh, and even on that receiving side. You know, G. Scott Jr., Jelani Thurman, all these guys are on kind of unproven uh, in, in that regard. And, you know, you need to see a little more out of G just in terms of making plays and being a weapon for the offense, if he's going to be that guy, if it's Jelani, you know, I, you like to see Jelani getting right back to work and he seems pretty dedicated after the Cotton Bowl. He was right back on the field. You know, he started, got taken, got benched right afterward. And so I, I'm really interested to see how heavily he ends up competing with G and, and maybe even will for that starting spot in year two. You know, tight end is such a developmental position. We haven't seen a lot of Ohio State tight ends emerge that early on in their careers. Uh, but Jelani came in with a major recruiting stock. He's not someone who converted from another position or had some positional uncertainty like Cade, like G. So, you know, I, I'm really curious to follow Jelani's development and then how that shifts the makeup between those three at the top of the tight end room. Are there any other players outside of those position battles that we've talked about that you're really interested in watching this spring and, and seeing if they can make a big jump this spring? I'm interested to see where Ty Hamilton can go in his final year. I mean, we all know his brother had that big breakout season uh, in year five. And, you know, Ty made more plays last year um, and had a really good Cotton Bowl, too. I uh, wanted to point that out. Ty had made some plays more and more as the year went on after, you know, I thought he was so, so he, he did fine in his starting in his spots in 2022. He took a step last year. Can he be the one technique that I think in, in some ways this team has still been missing. I, I, Mike Hall and Ty both, you know, rolled in at that one tech spot last year. And it just felt like they were still kind of three techs that, you know, made for fine one technique, but there's still another gear that Ohio state, I think can reach at that position. And when you're talking about building this elite defense, this defense that, could be not only the best in the country, but maybe, you know, one of the best in the recent college his history of college football. You need that, you know, you need your interior secured. And what you do in front of Cody Simon at that one tech spot, I think, is very important with Ty Hamilton. Um, and I think also it's the depth guys along that defensive line. We know how much Larry Johnson rolls them sometimes. Other times, you know, sometimes last season they didn't role guides as much and maybe that was a statement on where some of the depth is but i think where are kenyatta jackson jr and caden curry at maybe being able to spell jack sawyer and jt chui molau keep them fresh in games i'm really interested to watch caden mcdonald because i think he's got all he he's really interesting at that one technique spot and that size and, and burst combination that he brings to the table even a guy like hero canoe um so i think it's a lot of the depth um, on that defensive line, but in particular uh, on that starting unit, I'm, I'm more, I want to. I'm curious to see where Ty Hamilton is at this spring. Yeah, I think a guy for me that I'm interested to see can he push those starters is Jermaine Matthews Jr. Because we saw whenever he played last year, he did really well, and I think he's a guy that if 
you know, if Denzel had gone on to the NFL, we would have been talking about Jermaine just sliding in there and being a starter. And so it, it it's going to be hard for him to take a starting job because, I mean, you've got Denzel, who's maybe the best cornerback in the country. You've got Davison, who was great in his first year at Ohio State. You've got Jordan Hancock, who's really solidified himself at that nickel spot. But Jermaine's a guy, based on what we saw last year, it's like he's too talented not to get some playing time, not to find a role for that guy. So I'm interested to see, you know, does maybe he f- make it a four cornerback rotation? We had, didn't see a lot of rotation at corner last year. Can he kind of force his way into that mix if he can build off of what he showed last year? And I mean, that that whole position group, it, I mean, it, they're so loaded with depth there. I mean, we saw, you know, Calvin Simpson Hunt make strides last year. Can he... I don't know how much playing time is going to be available for him this year, but can he make a push this spring to where you really feel good about that depth? Lorenzo Styles Jr., what are they going to do with him? Is he a guy maybe at that nickel spot who maybe could back up Jordan Hancock there? I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, some of that secondary depth in action. You know, safety as well. Guys like Malik Hartford. I mean, we saw him flash last year. Probably not going to be a starting job available for him, but can he continue to make strides to where you feel really good about him as that next man up? Is there going to be some role for Jihad Carter, a guy who was a three-year starter at Syracuse and now kind of feels like a forgotten man there in that safety room? So I think, you know, that secondary is loaded with depth and it's just going to be interesting to see if guys can carve out roles there behind the starters because there have been suggestions and this goes back to your defensive line too. There have been suggestions from Ryan Day already that Ohio State maybe isn't going to give those established senior type guys a ton of reps this spring because they want to preserve those guys for the fall knowing that you have the possibility of a 16-17 game season if you make a deep run in the college football playoff and so I think Ohio State is going to try to limit the reps of some of those guys that are more established. And I think at positions like the defensive line and the secondary, that's going to create some opportunities for some of those young backups who may not really have a shot to earn a starting job this year, but to at least show that they're guys who are capable of earning a role this year. And I think one of our guys that bears mentioning too, who on the other side of the ball, could potentially be a beneficiary of that this spring is Dallin Hayden because you've got to think they're they're probably you know especially if Travion with some of his injury history they're probably going to want to be kind of cautious with him this spring. Quinshawn Judkins already has a lot of carries on his body from two years at Ole Miss, and so can Dallin Hayden show something this spring that gives him an opportunity to get into that running back rotation too. Cause he's been kind of a mystery man. These, these first two years at Ohio state to where whenever he plays, he looks good, but Ohio state continues to pull back on the idea of giving him more playing time. It seems like whether it's pass protection or fumbles that were, are happening in practice, but we don't see it. There's, there's something there that Ohio state has continued to kind of pull back on the idea of him getting more work and so it'll be interesting to see what can he do this spring can he push ohio state to get 
him more involved this year. There's only going to be so many carries available for him when you got Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins. But we've also seen the last couple of years that Ohio State has had to play depth at running back a lot. And so there's probably going to come a time this season where Ohio State needs a running back other than Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins to play a significant role. And I think this will be a big spring for Dallin Hayden to prove that he should be that guy. Speaking of Travion Henderson, you know, uh, this year's first edition of the Buckeye 20 is going to be unveiled here pretty soon. Um, you know, we're just we're not going to give you the full list, not going to go too deep into everything here. But uh, you know, Travion Henderson is among the top five, uh, you know, just to give you a little sneak peek at things. Uh at, at the top of the list, I think Denzel Burke, uh, not a surprise when you talk about this team potentially being defensive driven again. Uh, I think even with the addition of Caleb Downs and even with how Jack Sawyer emerged at the end of last year, we feel that Denzel um, is the best the kind of the cornerstone of this defense cornerstone being a cornerback uh, that can uh, lock down the elite of the elite receivers. And we saw it all last year with Denzel when he was healthy. And then, you know, going down the list here, we, you got Travion Henderson, second, Caleb Downs, third, uh, no surprise when you talk about 107 tackles from a freshman safety in the SEC, Jack Sawyer at fourth, a huge riser for at the end of last season, thought he was the best defensive player, certainly in the Cotton Bowl but also really the last four or five games of the season for Ohio State. Jack Sawyer kind of emerged as their best defensive player, especially starting with that Minnesota game that he had. And then Emeka at number five, which I think it's telling to see Emeka below Jack and just how much Jack's stock has risen. Um, you know, Emeka obviously had the injury concerns last year, but I think we all expect him to be one of the best receivers in college football. So, so Dan, just, just thoughts on the top five of the Buckeye 20. You and I weren't the only ones to vote on the Buckeye 20. We have about nine staffers who re regularly participate and submit ballots as a part of a Buckeye 20. But I know that both you and I had Denzel Burke as the number one players on our list. So we are both in agreement there in terms of Denzel. He was number two on the end of year Buckeye 20 last year behind only Marvin Harrison Jr. So only natural that he would take over the number one spot. And for me, that was a debate between Denzel and Caleb Downs because Caleb Downs was fantastic at Alabama. But I ultimately deferred to the guy who's already been at Ohio State and who I personally believe is one of, if not the best cornerback in the country and I think a lot of times the new shiny toy is always going to get the most hype and I think that hype is very deserved in Caleb Downs's case but I do feel that Denzel in my mind entering spring is still the best player on the team and so in my personal ballot I had Denzel one and Caleb two I think you actually had the top three exactly on your ballot as you had Travion second Caleb Downs third and no qualms from that on my end I had Travion in my top five as well I think he's a guy that if he can stay healthy he can be the best running back in college football and I think that's the thing that really stands out when you when you look at this list and you know when we reveal the top 20 later this week I think that's the thing that's really going to stand out is just the amount of talent that they have on this team because you're talking about Denzel Burke as a guy who is probably going to be a preseason All-American at corner. You have Travion Henderson, who's maybe the best running back in the country. You have Caleb Downs, who could be the best safety in the country. 
You have Jack Sawyer, who if, he, who if he plays the way he played in those last three games of last season, he can be an All-American this year. He can be the best defensive end Ohio State has had since Chase Young and the Bosa brothers. And then you have Emeka Abuka, who going into last year, a lot of people considered to be the second best receiver in college football behind only Marvin Harrison Jr. And he wasn't able to play up to that level last year because of that ankle injury that kind of derailed his season. And I think that's why he starts out going into this spring a few spots lower. But, you know, Emeka could easily move up that list as the season goes on because, uh, you know, we've seen Emeka when he's at his best. He's an elite player. I think we didn't see as much of it last year, but he's going to be that clear-cut number one guy in the wide receiver room uh, this year, at least to start the year because, you know, he's the only returning starter. And so that's going to give him the opportunity to certainly have a huge year as he comes back for his senior season. So, you know, that's just the top five. I mean, we don't even have Tyleek Williams in the top five. We don't have JT2 Amolawau in the top five. We don't have Quinchon Judkins, a two-time All-SEC running back in the top five. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing that just jumps out at you is just how much high-end talent this Ohio State team has, how many potential All-Americans this Ohio State team has. And certainly that Buckeye 20 is going to fluctuate, you know, potentially even, you know, after the spring, before the season starts, based on what we see this spring, based on where there's more roster movement after the spring. But uh, you look at it right now, there's a lot of talent on this Ohio State football team. And that's why uh, this Ohio State team is going to enter the 2024 season with national championship aspirations. Yeah, you know, the talent is bountiful and it's clear just how much of it there is. Um, and it was hard to make this list as a result of that. You know, I, I had a lot of trouble, a lot of fun uh, ranking these guys because it's just um, it's it's a pretty ridiculous roster that they have. Uh, and I think the Buckeye 20 reflects that. Uh, but, you know, kind of pivoting away from football here, the basketball team. Uh, you know, we came on the podcast last week. We it, it was off that Purdue win. Uh, all the juice behind the program, all the momentum. They kind of lost it pretty quickly after the podcast. You know, they they lose to Minnesota, um, and you know it was the same old story. It was defense and rebounding hurt them. That was the you know I have that narrative of defense and rebounding hurt Ohio State on the road. Wow, what a surprise. You know, seven, 17th straight road loss, broke the program record, set a program worse, I guess you could say, is a little more apt since uh, breaking a record makes it sound like a good thing. But, you know, I think coming off of that, none of us were really expecting them to go on the road and beat Michigan State, particularly in the fashion they did. 12-point second-half comeback win, uh, buzzer beater from Dale Bonner, who's had his bevy of struggles this season so um this was a huge win for the team and it's good to be talking positive about ohio state basketball for for a second week in a row dan it, it, it feels odd almost yeah i mean it's you know it's we've seen now you know two sundays in a row this ohio state team in a nationally televised game on cbs has shown up and and gotten a big win and certainly this one was a big monkey to get off Ohio State's back it had been 420 days since Ohio State had won a game in another team's arena so for Ohio State to finally get that long-awaited road win and to do it in such thrilling fashion 
certainly those two wins against Michigan State and Purdue are, are two games that I think are going to stand out as positive memories from this season, regardless of how this season ends up. And they're going to be positive memories for Jake Diebler, who has clearly, I think, given this team a, a spark. You know, even though the Minnesota game kind of looks like some of the same old stuff, you know, to see this team, again, we talked about it in the Purdue game. You know, Purdue kept taking shots in the second half, and Ohio State withstood that, and they held on, and they beat the number two team in the country. This game was a little different in the sense that at halftime, I don't think anybody really would have thought that Ohio State was going to win this game. They were down by double digits. It, it looked like, man, you know, the, the luster's worn off. They're, they're struggling again. You know, Jamison Battle's not playing. They're just not able to generate enough offense. And they were struggling some transition defense. It, it didn't look like it was going to be Ohio State's day. But then to come back in the second half from down 12 points and pull out a win, Again, we talked about it. What was one of the biggest problems of the Chris Holtman era? It was that late game execution. It was not finding a way to win with the game on the line. And we've now seen Ohio State do that in two of Jake Diebler's first three games. And so it, it gives you more confidence now for the rest of this season to where, you know, as we said last week, the, the road to the NCAA tournament is still uphill for this Ohio State basketball team, especially after, you know, suffering another loss this past week against Minnesota. But you look at the games that are left on a regular season schedule. You've got two home games in a row against Nebraska and Michigan, and then you go on the road at Rutgers. These are three very winnable games for Ohio State. And if Ohio State can win those three games, I, I think you go into the Big Ten tournament with a shot. It's not going to be guaranteed, but I think if Ohio State can build off this last win and they can finish the regular season strong here, I, I don't think that the NCAA tournament is, is, is completely out of reach for this team. And that's probably not something that we would have predicted a couple of weeks ago if the way things are trending. And so you got to give Jake Diebler a lot of credit as, as the interim coach for getting this team to start playing at a higher level and to inject some belief back into Ohio State men's basketball in Columbus. Yeah, the turnaround uh, under Jake has been stark. And the uh, again, it's the aggression and the depth that they're rolling. I think, you know, I brought it up last week. That was his strategy um, coming into this. And, you know, it, even if it's not a perfect plan, it's Good, better to have a plan and execute that plan than it is to, you know, not have a plan at all. And there's a clear plan that, you know, and for it to work, Ohio State needs depth contributions. And I think that was, I think the quality of play from the depth pieces was probably the biggest contrast for me between the Minnesota Michigan State games and ultimately getting that Michigan State win. Not only Dale Bonner hitting the game winner, of course, uh, but Devin Royal had a career outing. Um, for, it's a one-year career, but he had a career outing against uh, Michigan State, set a new career high with, with his points there. As you're going to roll more of those depth pieces, it's so important for their strategy to, to get those sorts of contributions. Um, and their half-court defense was uh, 
a major improvement as well in this game. I, their transition D obviously struggled. I think it was like 22 fast break points off, off the top of my head, but there was, um, it was also Michigan State, like after makes from Ohio State was constantly running out and threatening. I mean, that was, you never want to see a team be able to push the pace so consistently off of made shots like that. Uh, but I, they kind of corrected it as the game went on. And I, I think the perimeter defense in the half court, especially like after how much Ohio State has struggled in certain games with perimeter defense, how rough it looked to start against Michigan State. They, they allowed Michigan State to, to start really hot from three in the Michigan State. The rest of the game, I believe it was a three for three start. And Michigan State finished like one of their last 13 or something. Um, this is... Uh, a half-court defense that stepped up when it needed to to help get the team back in the game. Uh, and then they got plays from some depth guys when, you know, they were without their top perimeter threat on their own end. Uh, circling back to the NCAA discussion on things, I think these three games, really the toughest one you look at that's left is this Nebraska game that's coming up on Thursday. Uh, this is a team that beat you in Lincoln earlier this year, 83-69. But also, Nebraska has struggled on the road. Um, that's the flip side of it, is that now you are facing a team that is... it. They've basically been a two different teams, is what I'm trying to say. On the road versus at home. Two and seven on the road this year is Nebraska. And so, that's a situation you can take advantage of. Uh, they, they probably need... They, they need that loud environment, too, in the shot, hopefully, to, to kind of fuel them and take advantage of that situation. I think that coming off of that, then the Michigan game, I mean, Michigan's really been struggling lately. You just got to handle business in that one and then go back on the road. All of a sudden, you're at 19 wins coming out of the regular season. Um what we said was four of five last week has become three of three this week. And then you win two tournament games. You're at 21 wins. You have uh, three quad one wins already. I think the NCAA tournament resume is really starting to build for this team. And the bubble isn't as tough as in other years. When you kind of look around college basketball, there may be a little window of opportunity for that. So I, I think all the credit again to Jake Diebler and what his he and his staff have done uh, since Chris Holtman's termination to, to get this team back to a place where it is competing for and looks like it has a legitimate shot to get to the NCAA tournament. I think I've never really had higher hopes for them to make the tourney uh, this year than since, you know, this, this the big losing stretch under Holtman started, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of starting. I'm not like, it's not, I'm not predicting it yet, Dan, but it's a, it's a real possibility in my mind. Yeah, there's a realistic path, and I mean, that's honestly, as a couple weeks ago, that's probably about as much as you could have asked for at this point, that this team would have something to play for at this point. And so, you know, we will see how it ultimately plays out over the next few weeks. Certainly, you know, they, they have to finish strong. I mean, even even one loss in those last three regular season games could be very damaging to Ohio State's hopes, and I think would really put them in a position where they would have to make a deep run in the NC or in the Big Ten tournament in order to make the NCAA tournament. But they've turned things, you know, you, you think back to last year, they've at least been able to turn things around earlier this year 
to give themselves a chance. You know, we saw last year, they made a nice run in the big 10 tournament, but it was, it was just too late. You know, this year they've, they've managed to turn things around just early enough that they, they're not completely out of it yet. And ultimately, you know, it's what Gene Smith thought when he, when he made the decision to fire Chris Holtman and Jake promote Jake Diebler, he thought that could give Ohio state a spark, could give them a chance to be more competitive down the stretch. And so far, uh, that that has come to fruition. And so we will see, again, two huge home games for Ohio State against Nebraska and Michigan uh, this week. I think it's not a stretch to say that those are must-win games for this team. And so uh, we will see if Ohio State can ultimately get it done there. Of course, you know, the, the question that continues to loom over all of this is the future of the program beyond this season. and whether what Jake Diebler is doing right now could give him a shot to be the permanent head coach after this season. And, you know, we polled our readers on that on 11warriors.com. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit interesting. I think as of Sunday evening, a few hours after the game, it was 51% yes, 49% no. Uh, as of Monday afternoon, you know, a little more time made for people to come off the, the win. It's 49% yes, 51% no. So just slightly against uh, the idea of promoting Jake Diebler to the permanent head coach. And I think that almost 50-50 split kind of speaks to, you know, the arguments for and against it for, you know, Jake Diebler, because we are seeing him get more out of his team than Chris Holtman was getting out of it. He is somebody that I think is really well liked by the players at Ohio State. I think he's well liked by others around the program, boosters who support Ohio State basketball. And so I think with every win, there's going to be more and more of a push for Jake Diebler to get real consideration for that job. On the other hand, Ross Bjork, the incoming athletic director at Ohio State, he did an interview with the Columbus Dispatch last week. And, and one of the things he said in that interview was that, quote, experience in the chair matters in terms of hiring a new head coach. And Jake Diebler has never been a full-time head coach before. So I think that speaks to some of what we talked about last week, that even if we see this team go on a really strong run here at the end of the season, is that enough for Ohio State to hire someone who has never been a full-time head coach before or is Ross Bjork going to want to make a bigger swing and it would still appear as of now that Ross Bjork wants to make a a bigger swing Uh, our own Eric Hodge actually you know heard on Monday from uh, a source that John Miller is viewed in coaching circles as a front runner for this job I know that Adam Jardy has also reported that Dusty May from Florida Atlantic has been in contact with Ohio State, though uh, there is some word out there that he wants the Indiana job and that he might be waiting for that job to open up as he is an Indiana alumnus. And so it, it does seem like Ohio State is certainly looking for someone who has more experience as an actual head coach than Jake Diebler. I, I think. 
we both like Dusty, have always liked Dusty May for this job, but I think, you know, Mike Woodson's likely on his way out there at Indiana. I think that's where he's going to ultimately end up in that case, uh, you know, assuming Indiana also wants him, but I don't know why he wouldn't. I mean, he's one of the biggest rising stars in the profession right now. I, some other updates there, you know, Greg McDermott, who was kind of my top candidate at the start of this, it looks like Creighton is preparing to offer him a big contract extension similar to Lamont Paris, who we discussed before as being in the same boat with South Carolina. So really, Sean Miller is it makes sense that he is kind of emerging as the front runner here. Um, I know there might be some mixed emotions around that name for Ohio State fans, but he obviously has track record, has experience, um, has some of those things that Ross Bjork said in that dispatch interview he's looking for um, at this position. I think one one candidate that I think has definitely emerged in this race that doesn't have that experience is Chris Gent. Uh, who we've discussed previously being an NBA assistant for a long time, but not really ever filling a head coaching role except for in the G League. So as much as he's expressed interest in returning to his alma mater to to be the head coach, it, it, he doesn't have that cachet, that resume that a Sean Miller would uh, or a Dusty May if he does ultimately end up being in the interested in the Ohio State job with what's going on in Indiana and how that plays out. So in terms of Jake Diebler, I still think they need to at least get to the Sweet 16 or uh, maybe if you had a miracle run to win the Big Ten tournament, something like that, uh, for him to really be a, a true candidate in that in that search. Um, you know, I, I, I said Final Four last week. That was a little outlandish. I think, like, like you had said, if, uh, if, he, if he makes the Final Four, I think that he's getting the job. But I think especially with Bjork's comments, uh, he's going to need something – of that sort of achievement level to get his name in the hat. It it feels to me like a lot of signs are starting to point toward Sean Miller here based on the fact that, you know, Dusty May could be, you know, a guy at Indiana if they fire Mike Woodson based on the fact that, you know, Greg McDermott, Lamont Paris seem more likely to stay where they currently are. The fact that Jay Wright has said he is definitely done coaching and he's not, you know, interested in the job. It, it feels like if they're going to go get a sitting head coach from another school, that Sean Miller might be the guy that makes the most sense in terms of having the resume that Ohio State could be looking for and him also being someone who's probably wants the job. I think there's other guys that Ohio State might want that may not necessarily be inclined to leave their current jobs for Ohio State, I think there's a good chance that Sean Miller would be inclined to make that move, to go to a school that has more resources and, and give him the opportunity to, you know, build, you know, an, an, an elite program. And, you know, I know there's, there's been kind of mixed feelings among people out there about whether Sean Miller would be the right fit for this job. I mean, obviously there's the well-publicized, stuff that happened at Arizona, the whole FBI case and his involvement in that, you know, my feeling is I don't think that's going to deter Ross Bjork because Ross Bjork has not been someone who has been risk averse as an athletic director. And the stuff that they got in trouble for is basically legal now. I mean, especially after what happened on Friday with the NCAA's ban on 
and the use of NIL and recruiting basically being struck down, like this idea of like players being able to get paid to, to go play for schools. Like we're, we're pretty much there at this point, especially if, if the States of Tennessee and Virginia end up winning that lawsuit against the NCAA. And so I think that kind of takes down one barrier from a potential Sean Miller hire. The other thing you could point to is, you know, Xavier's not very good this year. Like Xavier has a losing record right now. And so do you really want to hire a guy whose current team is not performing well? Like, is that really the best hire? I think that is a valid concern, but I also think, you know, you look at his track record at Arizona, you know, he's shown that he can build elite teams. He's shown that he can recruit at a very high level. And he already has those ties to the state of Ohio to where, you know, Ohio state really needs to be going out and getting the best players in Ohio and these upcoming classes. And he already has a head start on that from his recruiting at Xavier. And so I think those are reasons why he is an appealing potential candidate to be Ohio state's next head coach. Yeah. You know, I- I think a lot of me does question if it's the best fit when you have a sport like basketball. We talked about it last week. You can cast such a wide net in this coaching search. And I mean, look, it's Ross Bjork doesn't officially arrive until Friday. And that's when things will really heat up with this. And I think there's going to be a lot more developments over the next few weeks uh, before we, we really find out for sure who the emerging candidates are. Um, but you know, I, I do think that I'd like to see, you know, if Sean Miller's the guy, exactly what the vision there is there. Um, I, I'd be very curious to see what that looks like. Uh, and it, I, I, like you said, probably a good thing that, uh, you know, programs are going to have a lot more freedom in terms of NIL inducements, those kinds of things. Um, given, you know, his, his, his background, uh, you know, not that you expect him to get caught with his hand in the cookie jar, so to speak twice, but, uh, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. And, uh, I think it's also a very telling hire for Bjork. If that is the direction he ultimately goes that, like you said, he's not going to play that risk aversion strategy. He's going to be willing to try and find the guy that he feels gives the team the best chance to win the program, the best chance long-term. Uh, and so, you know, that as this all plays out in the background of Ohio state season, um, just a very interesting search that's going on. And I, uh, it, it's curious to see who's emerged in the search here. Um, the early preliminary discussions that Ohio state is having with some of these candidates. Now, another team we got to give a shout out, shout out to too, is the women's team. Again, they, their role has continued 14 consecutive wins, clinched the number one seed in the big 10 tournament and a share of the regular season title. Um, this this women's team just you know they continue to be among the best in the country and you know plenty of reason for fans to get excited and they have been you know multiple times now this season Ohio State's opening the upper bowl of the shot to let more fans in it's it's really fun to see this much juice behind Ohio State women's basketball Dan yeah I mean to to open it up now three times because of ticket demand for Ohio State women's basketball, I think is a really encouraging sign for that program. It, you know, because the first time that 
Ohio State had to open up the upper bowl was because of Caitlin Clark and is because of the hype around her. But I think now you're seeing more interest in Ohio State women's basketball just for Ohio State women's basketball, for people who want to watch the Buckeyes, who recognize that this team is really, really good and that they should be paying attention to it. And uh, certainly uh, a, a good week. If you, if you haven't been paying attention to Ohio State women's basketball, this is a good week to start because uh, they have a rematch with Michigan coming up tonight at 7 p.m. on Peacock. Michigan is the last team that beat Ohio State. That was all the way back in December. Ohio State has won its first 14 games of 2024. And if Ohio State wins tonight, and which will also be its home finale, Ohio State would clinch the outright Big Ten title. Ohio State has already clinched the number one seed in a Big Ten tournament, but there's you know still a scenario if Ohio State was to lose its last two games in a regular season where it could end up as a shared regular season title. But if Ohio State beats Michigan tonight, Ohio State would then clinch the Big Ten regular season championship before its rematch with Iowa, who it plays on Sunday at Iowa City. Caitlin Clark's final regular season home game at Iowa. Caitlin Clark could also potentially break Pete Maravich's NCAA scoring record in that game. So there is unquestionably going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game. Certainly going to be a tough game for the Buckeyes to go win in what's undoubtedly going to be a sold out packed arena there in Iowa city. That's going to be a tough challenge, but the way these Buckeyes are playing right now, uh, certainly uh, they, they are capable of, of beating anybody in winning any game. So it has been a lot of, a lot of fun to watch them. And, you know, interesting thing too, we were talking about Sean Miller, Sean Miller and Kevin McGuff actually coached together at, at Xavier. Kevin McGuff was there with the women's team and, and Sean Miller was there with, with the men's team at the same time during Sean Miller's first stint at Xavier. So that's a little fun fact too, um, that, you know, if Sean Miller ends up emerging as the uh, next Ohio state men's basketball coach, but he would already have a connection there on campus with the women's basketball coach. Very funny how that works out, Dan, a, a small world we live in, you could say uh, that, uh, or a small coaching world, at least that, uh, those two could end up being the men's and women's coaches at two different uh, universities. And, you know, I, I'm just really excited. You know, you're, you're, you're on the front lines covering this women's team a little more than I am. And I'm excited to just sit back and watch them again um, tonight and really uh, just, just take in Cody McMahon, JC Sheldon and the whole game, that, that gang, that's going to be a fun game. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. NFL scouting combine coming up in Indianapolis. By the time you're listening to this, I am already in Indianapolis covering the combine. So looking forward to bringing uh, lots of coverage to 11 warriors over the next few days, eight Ohio state players in total are participating in the NFL scouting combine. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Mayan Williams, Cade Stover, Matt Jones, Mike Hall, Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, Josh Proctor. We did get the news on Monday that Marvin Harrison Jr. will not work out at the Combine. No surprise there. I mean, if you, you could basically look at any mock draft right now, and pretty much all of them have Marvin Harrison Jr. as the first non-quarterback off the board. And so there was nothing to gain 
for Marvin Harrison Jr. by working out at the Combine. It's disappointing because it would have been fun to see how fast he could run the 40, but you know, based on what Albert Breer reported on Monday, he hasn't even been training for any of the Combine drills. He's been focusing solely on becoming a better football player. And because that's what's ultimately going to matter for him, he doesn't need to do the combine drills to boost his draft stock. His draft stock's already pretty much as high as it's going to be. And you wouldn't expect that any NFL team is going to hold this against him because everybody knows. I mean, everybody knows he's a freak. Just just watch his film <laughs> for the last two years. You don't need pro day numbers to to know that Marvin Harrison Jr. is an unbelievable talent. And so I really don't think it matters, but he's not doing the combine workouts in terms of his draft stock. Everybody already knows that he's an extremely hard worker and somebody is very dedicated to his craft. And so uh, I don't think it's going to hurt him at all to not work out at the combine. I really don't think there was much that he could have done to help himself by working out at the combine. So really the most important thing for him at the combine He's just going there, meeting with teams so that they can get to know him and the teams that might be considering using a top pick on him uh, can you know, really get to know more of who he is as a person. And that's really the most important thing for Marvin Harrison Jr. to accomplish this week. But all of the other Buckeyes at the Combine have plenty to gain because Marvin's the only guy who's currently projected as a first-round pick for Ohio State. And so any of those other seven guys could potentially you know, really help themselves with a strong showing at the combine. Andy, who are one or two guys on that list who you're intrigued to see how they perform this week? Mike Hall is probably the top one, and especially coming off of how he did, you know, boosting his draft stock since the year ended. I I think that um, he's a guy that to me always had the talent to be a a fantastic three tech in the NFL. Um, and so I, I think a, a really good combine could help boost his draft stock even more um, here coming, coming out of the coming out of the uh, 2023 season. Um, Josh Proctor's a guy, you know, you know how much I've loved covering Josh's story and his six years here. He, he's a guy that's fighting just to get drafted right now, but I think he has a lot of physical attributes that scouts might be a little surprised to see just how well he tests. I think he's going to test better than certain people expect. Um, and that could help get him in sort of that day three discussion of being a sixth or seventh round guy. So I'd say Mike Hall and Josh Proctor are probably the two that I think could really serve to boost their stock by testing well at the combine. Yeah, I agree with both those guys. I think they're both going to test well. And I, th- I think Josh, I think Josh has a chance to go a little higher than that. I really do. I think he could be a fourth or fifth round guy. And I think some of that is going to depend on how this week goes for him. Number one for him, probably the most important thing is going to be the medical exams because he did have an injury history at Ohio state. So I think him passing all those medical tests is probably step number one for Josh. And then if he can follow that up, with, you know, really showing some great physical attributes in, in the combine testing. I think he's certainly someone who can elevate his draft stock this week. I also think it's a big week for the two linebackers. I think particularly Tommy Eichenberg. I think he's a guy that I go into the combine not knowing what he's going to run in that 40 yard dash. And I think that, I think for him, that could be very important for him. Now, you know, he is coming off an injury at the end of a season, the arm injury he was dealing with. So don't know if he plans to do a full workout in Indianapolis. We'll find that out this week. You would imagine that 
you know, he's not going to be doing a bench press coming off of an arm injury, but, you know, could potentially do some of the on-field stuff. And I, I think he's somebody that needs to test well, whether it's at the combine or a pro day. He's someone who's kind of on that fringe of maybe he's a day two pick, maybe he's a day three pick. I think a lot of that is going to depend on how well he performs in that pre-draft athletic testing. And then Steel Chambers is a guy who I think is very much on that bubble of where maybe he gets drafted, maybe he's more likely to be an undrafted free agent right now, but he's another guy that I think should test well. I think he's a guy who's, you know, maybe still has some growth to do as a linebacker because he made a mid-career position switch at Ohio State. But the reason why he was able to become a starting linebacker at Ohio State is because he has very good physical attributes. And so I think if he can test well, he's somebody that certainly can improve his chances of being selected in those late rounds of a draft. Yeah, uh, Mayan too. Is, Mayan Williams is a guy who's going to be uh, fighting just to get drafted um, in the seventh round. This is this will be an important combine to see if he can maybe get a look from some teams, even maybe set himself up for an undrafted free agent signing. You know, uh, he obviously the senior season didn't go or redshirt junior season didn't go the way he wanted it to um, with the injury issues, but also just not really ever finding a consistent role uh, behind Travion Henderson uh, and in Ohio state's backfield this after, you know, really they were a one-two punch for much of 2022. So, um, and also injuries dating back to that 2022 season. This is a guy who will, the medical test will be important, much like with Proctor. And um, if he can test well, maybe help boost his stock a little bit just to get in contention uh, to, to be drafted or even to sign a, a an undrafted free agent. Yeah, and, and you know, certainly, you know, Cade Stover, I think, is also going to be a guy to watch. Because we can never guy where... I don't know exactly how fast he's going to run, but the faster he runs, the, the more, you know, that's going to help his draft stock. Another guy that's, that had dealt with some injuries late in the season. So, you know, could he wait until Ohio State's pro day to work out? Uh, we'll see what he ultimately decides there. But I think all in all, a lot of interesting storylines there for Ohio State's prospects at the Combine this week. Maybe not the Marvin Harrison Jr. show, which you know people would have loved to see being at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, in Indianapolis. I'm, I'm sure for him just to be back there is going to be cool for him. He talked about how badly he wanted to play in the Big Ten Championship game. He never got that opportunity. But this will be an opportunity for him to spend some time in the building where his dad became a star. And so, uh, again, a lot more combine coverage to come over the course of the week on 11warriors.com. And we will be back next week to talk about what we saw, uh, not only at the Combine, but what we saw at Ohio State's first spring practice of the year. Because by this time next week, Ohio State's first spring practice will be in the books. Of course, another big week ahead for Ohio State's basketball programs as well. So we will have plenty to talk about on next week's Real Pod Wednesdays, and we hope that you will join us again then.